Some businesses succeed, some don't. Then there are those that seem to have been around forever. The true entrepreneurial success story. How did they do it? What was their vision? What makes a success? In this special episode for Ion Annapolis, we speak with the true success stories. Those business owners that have been around for decades, learn from their successes and failures. Now, here's host John Fernay. I'm excited to be in this building. I am at, what, 302 is it? Um, 706 Giddings. Okay. Yeah. We are here with Joyce Smithy, who is the proprietress, the owner, the uh, principal of the Smithy Law Group. But this is a brand new building, and it's so exciting over in West Annapolis, and it's such a beautiful building. Congratulations on the new digs. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I moved about a half mile from where I practiced law before, but it feels like a whole different world over here in West Annapolis. Um, we're enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, the building won an architectural award last year. So, yeah. you know, I feel like we've gotten off to a roaring start with our uh, new digs. Well, that's great. Well, I have to say you are the first attorney law office that we've talked to in our legacy business series. And I think that it's, it's important to look at different businesses from, you know, from the retail to the restaurant, to the service, to the, you know, the, the needs, uh, organizations, nonprofits and everything else. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to go out to people that have been in the know for a long time. And uh, before we got started, you were telling me that you're pretty much like a, a native here of Anne Arundel County. Um, I, I would say so, although you know, I, I meet people who would argue, you know, 1977, that's nothing. Right? That, that, that doesn't <laughs> count. You know, when, I moved, when I first moved down here, they told me, I, I said, oh, yeah, I'm from Annapolis. And they said, you cannot say that until you've been here a minimum of 15 years. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay, I guess I was put in my place. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I am... I am what they call first generation, right? So, you know, I, I can't tell you that, you know, three generations who owned the land before they built all of the, right. you know, neighborhoods. But, yeah, I uh, grew up in Severna Park. I graduated from Severna Park High School. And then after finishing my education, came back to raise my kids here and practice law here. How long have you been practicing law for? 20 years. 20 years. Yes. What possessed you to do that? <laughs> <laughs> It's a really good question. Um, you know, I was uh, an art major in undergrad and um, enjoying life, but having a hard time making ends meet. So I was, um, you know, everyone had always told me, you should go to law school. You should go to law school. So on a whim, I took the LSAT, did very well with it, um, and thought, all right, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with a law degree. You know, I got a, a pretty sizable scholarship to attend law school, so I thought this isn't a bad way to spend three years. I ended up going to law school in Boston and just found my calling. Um, you know, I always think of law school as a place where they rewire your brain to become right. a lawyer. And it was as if mine had been pre-wired and it just snapped in place right away. And I certainly found what I was meant to do. So it was kind of a whim that turned into a calling. Were you argumentative as a child? <laughs> Depends do we who need you to get ask. Your, do we need to get your mother in here? <laughs> Depends who you ask. I think my mother would definitely say yes. But she's gotten her revenge because I have another generation of a future lawyer in my house. So, you know, I think she takes a lot of pleasure in that. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> well, okay, so how did you... Okay, so you, you you went to law school in Boston. Where did you go? Where did you go in Boston? Uh, Boston University. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know it was BU, BC, or Harvard. BU, or BU, and it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Boston is a great town. Oh my goodness! One out of six people are students there. Like, yeah, what a wonderful place to be young and intellectually motivated. It's great. And then you moved back down here. Is that how that? 
Um, I did. I practiced law in the New England area for a few years and then came back down here, I want to say 2003 Okay. is when I moved back here. And then I practiced in Baltimore for about three or four years and then uh, came to Annapolis to work for a larger firm before I opened my own firm. And, and, okay. So what type of law do you get into and who, who, who comes to see you? Sure. So we are very focused. Um, I always joke when you're willing to put your type of law on the wall and the business cards, we are not dabbling in anything else. We do labor and employment. It's all we do. Um, it's been that way. That's what I've done since I came out of law school. Um, and I quickly learned uh, the value that I can provide by doing the same type of law. People bring cases to me and an issue, and I've briefed that issue 20 times. Whereas if I was dabbling in different areas of law, you know, I'd have to go do research. I'd have to see what the cases are. You know, the employees who work for me, they call me a walking encyclopedia of employment law cases. And I could only offer that if I focused exclusively in one area. So I feel like that's where I bring the value. That's all we do. Um, it's what I enjoy. I enjoy doing what I know, um, and I don't enjoy doing what I don't know, so we're going to stick with labor and employment law. Well, that's with anything. I mean, you know, you yeah. do, do what you're good at and, right. and go from there. Now, I, I mean, so just out of curiosity, I mean, is, is labor law, I mean, it's not quite as, say, as popular because there's probably not as many labor lawyers as there are, uh, you know, criminal defense lawyers or injury litigators or, or things like that. So, I mean, is that a, is that a big it's surprisingly big. Um, so labor law is traditionally associated with unions. That's certainly been on the decline. We see less and less union work. I guess employment is what Yeah, I was but employment for. law is definitely, um, we're as busy as can be. Yeah, we um, opened with three lawyers a year and a half ago. We're already at five. Um, yeah, I, I get about 150 calls a week um, from potential clients. Um, we do... Um, if it's employment, generally we do it. So we get calls um, from, you know, one moment I can be talking to a CEO who had his contract terminated. And if it was without cause, he gets $6 million. And if it's, you know, with cause, he gets nothing. And then the next call, I'm talking to a receptionist who was sexually assaulted at work. And then the next, I'm talking to a publicly traded company that has a class action and uh, asking me to defend it. And we've got some of those right now, too. So we do everything from discrimination to overtime and wage law to medical leave, retaliation, whistleblowing. We do all of that. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. yeah. I wish I, I wish I had known that. My daughter had a uh, an instance. She was down in outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and she was working at a fairly high end restaurant when she was in college. And they they were uh, taking her tips, and essentially the owner was keeping like fifty percent of them, and <gasps> then oh no, divvying it up among the other ones. And he said that was just the way it was, and it was. Uh, puffed our chest and we wrote a couple letters and and he kind of said screw you and my oh. daughter my daughter ended up like well i mean it was it was in the in the grand scheme of things it was not a whole lot of money but it was because like, she ended up quitting but it was a um it was sort of the principle of the thing and I, I was really livid i said i said you can't you can't do that and i know i've seen a couple of uh posts on facebook where you know everything's true on facebook so <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, so it has to it has to be true about um you know some local uh, like places that have a tip jar out there where right. the owner keeps the tips as opposed to, you know, divvying them up. And, you know, I, I guess it's probably yeah. a, a question, but it's... Well, it's really not. Uh, you know, as far as tips, you're allowed to pool tips, right, and tip out, for example. The dishwashers. Um, or yeah, the, the dishwashers, the bus people. 
But if you're going to do this, there's certain notice requirements. And also, they call it front of house, back of house. If you're not interacting with customers, you're not allowed to participate in the tip pool, right? So if you are back of house as a cook, you must be paid separate, you know, minimum wage separate from the tip pool. Front of house are the only people who can participate. Management is not allowed to take the tips. Um, so there are a lot of requirements. There's, you know, notices that must be posted. Uh, you know, a lot of places get it wrong, but there are a lot of requirements if you're going to pull people's tips. And boy, if the manager's taking that tip jar, that is not something that's, they're that's allowed not, to do. Not, 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 <laughs> no. not cool. Well, I, I have to admit that I, in a prior life, I own several travel agencies. Okay. And the absence of employees is just like the best thing in the world for me. <laughs> <laughs> I I hear you. I mean, I I love what I do because everyone has a story just like you. You know, everyone's either been an employer or they've been an employee or they know enough not to want to be either. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's, it's a very difficult relationship on both sides. Um, and, you know, to help people navigate that and hopefully keep it from going to litigation, which is perhaps fun for me to be able to use my skills, but not a lot of fun for the people who go through it. It's a fun area to practice because everybody's got issues. Does most of your stuff litigate Um, or is it most settle? um, So settlement is the trend right now. Um, You know, certainly, you know, when I first started practicing in the late nineties, I probably tried six cases a year and I am lucky to try one a year now. I, you know, Maryland's court system is posting a very, very high settlement rate. Um, the EEOC posts posts a settlement rate, I believe, in the 80th percentile somewhere. You know, most cases are settling these days, um, and it really gives you very little opportunity to get out there and try your cases, which I love to do, and I, I kind of miss it. But then again, I mean, settlement. You know, my clients get to move on. You eliminate the risk. You eliminate um, attorneys' fees, which is well, great. Well, sure, I've always said yeah. that it doesn't matter what you're going to court for. You, I mean, you've got a 50-50 shot of losing. I mean, it's like a yeah. baseball game. At, at least. I, I've seen cases where somebody has a 90% chance yeah. of losing. Yeah. So, and, 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 and it can it can always surprise you. Now, how in employment law, how does Maryland stack up as far as um, the courts? I mean, do they typically tend to favor employers or employees, or is there not really a trend? I mean, I know that at one point, Anne Arundel County judges were considered very weak on crime. And mm-hmm. it was sort of an unknown thing that if you were living in Prince George's County mm-hmm. and you wanted to sell drugs or conduct a transaction, you go across the line here because in case you get caught, you know, Anne Arundel County judges are likely to say, OK, fine, we'll give you 30 days and you can go on versus Prince George's County may say, OK, we're giving you six months. Uh, is there any type of a, a thing in Maryland as far as employee law? Sure. I love that question. Um, so. So a lot of our employment law was actually developed in the federal courts um, because a lot of the discrimination laws came up federally. Maryland didn't have its own private cause of action for discrimination, for example, until 2008. So we were getting a lot of our law made out of Richmond, where the Fourth Circuit was, and it caused a pretty conservative body of discrimination law. And certainly if you look at statistics in federal court, many cases are resolving on summary judgment, meaning you don't even get to try them. They're just granting judgment to employers. Definitely a a large number are going out on summary judgment. Um, When you study jury verdicts, um, you know, it, it it can seem like you're pushing a boulder up a hill with some of the discrimination law. 
Um, that said, you know, Maryland has its own private right of action, and that's been interesting. Um, I think it's kind of leveled the playing field a little bit more. I also think Maryland, um, it depends on the area of law. Um, for example, we have a wage collection law that is separate from overtime and minimum wage. It, it's just where if you were promised wages, you should get paid. And it provides treble damages if you didn't pay the wages and you had no bona fide reason not to do so. Um, so you can triple the amount due. Um, that has some real bite. You know, so our wage laws, I think, can be very favorable to employees. But certainly, you know, we've been slower to act on things like getting our own discrimination law. I think we were one of the last states to do so. Um, we have some odd requirements. For example, to whistleblow in Maryland, you have to go external to the organization, which is unusual. Most states you can complain to your boss and say, whoa, I think we're breaking the law here. You know, this violates right. some law. In Maryland, you have to have actually gone external and made a complaint for you to have a whistleblowing case under our common law. That's unusual. I think it's, you know, it's a very small number of states that have that requirement. So it's interesting. We have areas that are very pro-employer. You know, we're obviously an at-will employment jurisdiction. And then we have a few that we really do have some bite. We care a lot about wage law and... Um, uh, DLLR spends a lot of time on that. Right. Now, do you, do you find that most of your, your clients, uh, do you represent employees more often than employers? Or I do both. I get it's a double-edged sword here at, at one point because, I mean, you could, uh, you can, employers can have bad employees yeah. and employees can have bad employers. Yeah. I, I wish I could say it's as lofty as, you know, I'm trying to find the best people, you know, to represent. But really, I, I think it makes me a better lawyer. When I represent a company, I can see where they make their mistakes in preserving emails and, oops, we didn't quite save the electronic documents. You know, I know the questions to ask when I'm on the other side where I know the mistakes get made. And on the plaintiff side, I know where the pressures are coming from in the other room. Um, and it makes me much, much better on the other side of it to kind of know what's going on and, you know, where those weaknesses probably are so that I can use them to help my clients. To me, it sounds almost sounds like if I wanted to start a business and hire employees, which uh, if that ever comes around, you have permission to, like, slap some sense into me. But we'll... <laughs> Move beyond that. But I mean, if I'm looking to start a business, if I'm looking to open up a business, a consultation with you would make sense to me that so I don't step in these puddles that that I may not even know exist. Yeah. Uh, you know, where I mean, do you is that something that you would offer a business? I mean, just I mean, obviously, you're not representing them. I mean, this might be a three hour consult right. where we can sit there and say, hey, you want to make sure that you've got this, 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 this. And if you're going to have a 401, you've got to, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think it's uh, we we love doing that. It's it, it, for me it's it's fun to take a step out of conflict and do something, you know, the beginning of a relationship as opposed to, you know, okay, somebody's been fired or claiming to be sexually harassed or has been sexually harassed. Um so we love doing that and I think it makes a lot of sense um to just come in and know which laws apply, right? We come in and we say, okay, here's your number of employees. Here's the counties you're in. You need this poster, that poster posted. Um, just to give you an example, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, Maryland passed a Safe and Sick Leave Act, and it got it, it passed in one session, got vetoed by the by the governor, and then the next session, the first thing they did was override the veto and gave businesses four weeks of notice to be in compliance, and it required 
you know, written notice to how many hours your employees are accumulating, you know, policies, and all of a sudden every business in Maryland pretty much needed to have their policies checked, things like that that you probably aren't paying attention to as an employer, but we are always watching what's going on down there, um, down the street here in Annapolis. Um, and so when you come to us, we can say, yep, here's what you need to do under that act. You don't have to worry about the Family Medical Leave Act yet, but you do need to worry about this law. Put this poster up. You want this policy. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a lot of employer clients who just use me for consulting that I've never represented in litigation. And I think there's a reason for that. They're well, that, doing that, the right that things. That makes all the yeah. sense in the world. As you just said about this, you know, new requirement or something, whatever it may be. I mean, if I'm running a business, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my bottom line. I'm looking at how to get people in my door, ringing my phones, or you know, emailing me, or whatever, whatever it is that I'm doing, and continuing on to make revenue, to make you know, livings for myself and my employees mm-hmm. and everything else. But and I, I, I'm not following the minutia of what's happening in the state house. Right. Um, that's it makes perfect sense there. What's the biggest mistake employers make? I mean, I, I mean, it, or is there one? I mean, obviously, the you know, in today's environment, I mean, you got to think the the sexual harassment and the Me Too, and where you may or you know, and and I am so guilty of it. And this is probably why I'm glad I'm not an employer at this point. <laughs> but but I'm sitting at the sitting the opposite end of a of a table with you in some courtroom somewhere. But uh, with a politically incorrect statement, I mean, just an off color joke. Uh, you you look at what Madison Avenue was. 40, 50 years ago, um, you know, hey, babe, you're looking good today. I mean, whoa, you know, all of a sudden I'm in a, you know, you know and it just doesn't fly. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that, the, is that the biggest area of concern? Um, you, certainly it's a big area to worry about, but I would say you can go even broader than that, which is that if you treat your employees with sort of basic dignity, respect, you can even, I've seen, you can even break the laws and they're not out there calling, calling employment attorneys. If you're treating the employees without respect, um, you know, what they consider, may consider a hostile, abusive environment, they are going to call attorneys whether there's a claim or not. And I think, you know, they'll start trying to figure out how to work within the law in order to address it. So I think, you know, the biggest advice, for example, I, an example I love is that we discovered a, um, a company that had a major equal pay problem, and um, and it was it was almost a, you know I don't like to say slam dunk as lawyers we never do, um, and we, as, as we tried to get other clients lined up because we had, we had done they wouldn't do it they were like our our CEO is so good he's going to fix this on on his own and we don't need to do anything. And what kind of atmosphere is that where the employees have that kind of trust that they find out that there's been a legal violation? We had probable cause findings from the EEOC, and they said, we're, we're not going to join in this because we know he'll do the right thing now that he knows. And one of them called me a year later and said, oh, yeah, he went and voluntarily adjusted everyone else's wages who didn't sue. What a, you know, I love that story because that guy's treating his employees so well they didn't need our system for him to comply. As soon as he was educated by our first couple cases, he did it on his own. Yeah. So I think just treating your employees well is, is the smartest thing you can do because it creates a trust in the relationship that, you know, gives both sides room to fix things as they need it. Just listen, listen to the concern and, 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 and call you if you, if you've got a question or need a clarification on it. Absolutely. Or something like that. Employee manuals, mandatory, you think? Anywhere? They are not. Um, they're just a very good idea for many reasons. First of all, it's nice for everybody to know what's expected out of the relationship instead of guessing. 
Um, I will say there are certain... They should make that for marriages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw that out. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what it would be, you know, a thousand pages? <laughs> who, who's, you know, who takes the trash out? Um, That's right. But, uh, yeah. It's Wednesday. You've got the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the things no one was talking about during the romantic honeymoon. Um, you know, I, who knew that socks on the floor came with a life sentence? Right. But, um, absolutely, yeah. Uh, no, it, in this case, it's usually much easier to tell people what you expect ahead of time. Um, there are certain laws um, that you need to be giving, um, you know, written uh, notice, such as the sick and safe leave law. Um, it also can be a defense for you. If something happens with a lower level employee, you may be a wonderful employer, but then someone you've hired, you know, treats somebody badly. For example, you know, say you've got somebody working in a warehouse, you weren't there and a coworker, not a manager, but a coworker assaults one of the women who works for you. If you've got good policies that say, we don't tolerate discrimination, here's our complaint process. If you use it, we will act quickly to remedy it, you don't have liability in that situation because once you had notice, you have a good policy saying, give us notice, you promptly act, you won't have liability for that. So it can it can be a great shield to show you're doing the right thing in these you know, Me Too situations. So it's a great idea to have it. And it's a guide for your managers because it will have the different um, laws that do apply to you, right? There'll be an I-9 policy. Don't forget to get your I-9s right. from everybody. It'll have your overtime policy, make sure people are recording their time if they are you know, non-exempt. Um, so it's a nice guideline of what you need to do in the beginning as an employer. Wow. Yeah. It does make sense. I mean, if it's written in that I need to trigger an investigation mm-hmm. and I don't trigger it, well, how the employer makes it easy to say, how does, how does it work? Right. What's, um, who, are, who are the most vulnerable to what types of businesses, not specific you know, restaurants or anything, but smaller businesses or larger businesses tend do any of them tend to be more vulnerable to actions? So this is just my anecdotal opinion on it based on what I see, but I tend to find a lot of cases in the sort of maybe 100 to 500 employee range. And the reason is, is because they've grown and they used to operate like one big family. And so they haven't created great policies. They haven't had to worry about dotting every I and crossing a T, but they get so big that they couldn't possibly still be one big family. And so I find a lot of the cases come from these successful businesses that really had this you know, warm family-like atmosphere that just grow so fast um, and they forget that they are also running a business and, you know, and it gets so big that some, you know, somewhere along the way there's going to be a bad apple either on the management side sure. or on the employee side. And then it's sort of this wake-up call of, wait a minute, we need to deal with this. We're not a family anymore. Yeah, no, no. Well, you, you talked about the state house down here in Annapolis and the legislature. Do you get involved in legislature? I mean, I know right now we're on our way to fifteen dollars an hour, and I know there's a lot of uh, hemming and hawing on that. I hold in high esteem the gentleman that owned the my favorite muppin on Main Street mm-hmm. at one point, and he, when they were going, I think to ten dollars, he said, you know, I guess from seven dollars or whatever it was, and he said, I have a product that, you know, I, I have a baker, but I cannot afford to pay our cashier people $10 an hour. Uh, I don't have a product that I can reasonably mark up to $12. I mean, are you going to pay $12 for a muppin? And he said, so I'm out of business at $10 an hour. And and he said, if you pass it, I'm going to close. And he did. I mean, it was passed before it even went into law. He he said, okay, I'm out. And he closed down there. Is that something that you get involved in as far as advocating for... 
Uh, I do get involved. Um, you know, I do. Uh, I'm the legislative liaison for the employment and labor section of the Maryland State Bar, which means I'm watching the bills. I'm taking them back to the section council. Largely, we're not doing much when we get them, but we're always monitoring what's going on. Um, so we do look at that. Um, every once in a while, we'll testify on a bill. I'll testify on a bill. Um, But what I will say that I think our legislature does very well is they do keep in mind the size of employer. Um, For example, the Sick and Safe Leave Act, you know, you don't have to give paid sick leave. It can be unpaid under that if you're under a certain number of employees. Um, And, you know, they've been good. They're the state anti-discrimination law. You have to have 15 employees. Um, You know, so I think they do take that into consideration. They're very good about that. you know, for the size of employer you are. Hopefully, you know, if you're able to run a business, we're smaller, for example, and we're still doing paid sick leave here. Um, I think taking into consideration size is something that our legislature is very good at. I agree. They have. They tend to be very fair-minded mm-hmm. on that. They realize yeah. that, you know, you can't take a uh, three-person shop and all of a sudden <laughs> sure. know, put, put, a, put a burden on them and keep them there. So that's, uh, you know, if, if I still owned a business, I mean, I after this conversation, I would be inclined to, you know, book an hour of your time and sit here and say, okay, here's what I'm doing. And either walk away with the, you know, with the, with the Joyce Smithy <laughs> stamp of, of approval, <laughs> Smithy of approval or with my tail between my legs, one of the two. Um, or, you know, but, you know, as a business owner uh, to get in touch with you, or if there's an employee that feels that they are, they are wronged and they've exhausted. And, and I, I'm a, what I'm gathering from you, I may be reading between the lines, you said that the first line of defense for an employee that feels wronged is to work through the policies that are in place in the workplace. You got it. Um, before they come to you. I mean, it's not, hey, I need my lunch break. I'm going to to a lawyer right now. It's, <laughs> it's you know. You know, I mean, I do think I meet with people before they even go to their em- employer. And that can be helpful because I think a lot of employment law is counterintuitive, right? We We tend to think of fairness as what should govern this world. And what is unfair is not necessarily illegal. So sometimes we get calls from people who are, you know, talking about something that's unfair, but it's not illegal, right? So if they're threatening lawsuits to their company, and then all of a sudden, you know, they meet a lawyer later, and it's like, no, this isn't an illegal, you can be a bad manager in Maryland, you can manage your place right into the ground. (laughs) Our courts are not going to act like a super HR for you. You know, so I think, you know, just being educated can make you wiser in navigating it. But you're absolutely right. The first step is follow the policies. You know, if there's a complaint policy, use it, go to the people who are designated. And if that doesn't uh, solve the problem for you, then you escalate, whether it's to an agency like the EEOC or the Maryland Commission for Civil Rights. And then after that, if it still hasn't been resolved properly, that's when you go to court. What's yeah. the best way to get in touch with Joyce Smithy at the Smithy Law, Smithy Law Group, correct? Smithy Law Group, yes. Um, we have um, everything. Uh, we even have fax machines still because the EEOC likes to receive things we, via we, fax. We were, just, we were just making fun of them this weekend. <laughs> I know. I, we, we wipe them out of contracts now all the time. Who wants notice by fax anymore? But you can certainly call us, email us, um, fax us. Um, all of my information is on our website. And, in fact, I'm, I've published probably... 40, 50 articles, two books. You can find a lot of that on my website as well. Um, to educate yourself even before you come in, we've got lists of all the agencies that might help you, some of the nonprofits in the employment arena. So take a look at my website. All my contact information is there okay. and a lot of good articles about what to do with severance packages, ways to really educate yourself without even having to take a trip to West Annapolis, which right. you should want to do anyway. You should, you should absolutely <laughs> do it because you can go to Evelyn's. You can get a, you know, oh my goodness, you can go to Evelyn's. 
making uh, we go to Evelyn's kind of too the much. Coffee, <laughs> the coffee shop. No, what is the website? Is it smithylaw.com? Smithylaw.com. And there's an E in Smithy. You've got it S- right. S M I T H E Y L A W.com. You've got it right the first time. <laughs> and um, before we leave, you mentioned when we very first started, you talked about speaking with a CEO that had like a $6 million buyout package. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know what company that was because I want the next year. <laughs> I, I want to put in an application on that. <laughs> like everything I do, the settlements are confidential. <laughs> Fantastic. Joyce Smithy, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Again, smithylaw.com, S-M-I-T-H-E-Y. And come on over and check them out in this beautiful new building on Giddings Avenue in West Annapolis. Uh, if you are an employer, to me, it really makes a lot of sense just to you know run it, run it through the ringer and see that you're on board and, and covered. And it's probably money well spent. And I think if you're uh, an employee that has, has a problem, I mean, this is a, a certain resource. Do you work strictly local and through Maryland? I mean, or do you have... We, we cover all of Maryland. We do D.C. We do federal employees, state employees. Um, you know, what we do is so focused um, that we, instead of saying we're focused on one area of geography, we're focused in one area of law, and right. we go, we have a lot of cases from the Eastern Shore to D.C. to Baltimore, right. so we're all over so the So you would state. say, say region. You were yes. a regional. I mean, you don't have any Kansas clients. My goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Joyce, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this special podcast for I Am Annapolis. Please be sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinions. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the I Am Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you your local news direct to your phone or tablet every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes or Google Play.